You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's the 11th of February 2016 and this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. <sighs> It's been a week. It has. <laughs> Dave, how you doing? You're in Whistler right now. I am indeed, yeah. Staring out at uh, some snow. You know, Mary's on the mountain, but, you know, we got such an exciting guest as if I was going to take, uh, take the day off radio right. <laughs> and miss an opportunity to chat, not just with you. I get that pleasure every week, but Eric Eng is coming up, or Enge, uh, chatting AI. Super exciting. We've been looking forward to this for uh, pretty much all week. Yeah, absolutely. Um insights into the uh, I don't want to call it the next revolution in uh, in, in computing and then and, and search and all that sort of stuff but I kind of think it is yeah yeah you I know, think that's, I mean, that's pretty much a given but we'll, we'll totally get into that you know what another exciting announcement I've been I've been like waiting for this announcement you brought it up I didn't actually know the press conference was before because I walked in there were emails I had to answer those before the radio show um, mm-hmm. but uh, but there was a press conference today gravitational fields. Yeah, yeah, gravitational waves, Einstein's last prediction on the theory of relativity. Um, They had their announcement. They have been found, as you know. Um, But, I mean, how how exciting. I I almost feel sorry for the guy who made the announcement, though, because they've been looking for, like, 100 years. It's like, okay, that is exciting. You got it. Like, you you, you got your your announcement. That must have been a super exciting moment for you. Uh, But, you know, it's one of those things. It's going to pass. Like, it's super important. It's going to be written into a whack of physics books and stuff like that. But it will pass. The notoriety will be gone and be like, well, that was 100 years. You know, there we are. But at the same 
at the same time, Dave, I mean, th- think about a hundred year theoretical project to detect something that is so small it can't be measured. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, and just science, building on science, building on science, thought, building on thought, ultimately, you know, proving um, the, 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 the musings of Einstein. And that he was right in the way the universe functions. Well, I mean, not 100%. You know, there were some things, obviously, he didn't know that he, you know, would love to exist right now with our technology and understandings. But um, another thing that shows his fundamental concepts of the way the universe worked um, were right, and that we can use them as a solid building block for, for how we function in this space and, and, and things like space travel. It, it's exciting. Not search-related, but, you know, super exciting. But you know what you can use as a uh, great building block in this space? I don't know, but that was an awesome segue. <laughs> Google Knowledge Graph. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you can use edit. In fact, you can you can now edit Google Knowledge Graph if you uh, happen to be the like the registered owner of uh, of said website. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, isn't it? It's uh, over for our, for our listeners who don't know over at uh, Search Engine Roundtable or SE Roundtable. You can see what screenshots would exist. But yeah, if you if you can you know search yourself or your company name, if a knowledge graph shows up, um, it actually now shows up with options uh, to to suggest edits and and make changes to this if you are the owner. Um, well, I guess you no matter whether you're the owner or not, there'll be like a little you know hey here's an edit thing. But it actually has big bold suggest a change if it recognizes you as the owner of this thing. And apparently the it is a fast fast uptick um, in time that you've suggested the change to time it's it's taken up. So AI comes in. Obviously that's not a manual thing. So AI is obviously doing a you know picking up once more in a new space um, and and making these yeah. changes. I think it's great. I just. Um the, the the example that we have in, in front of us is uh, from uh, Search Engine Land, or Search Engine Roundtable, sorry. And so, you know, uh, Barry pulled up his Wikipedia entry. I just searched Webmaster Radio on Google while you were talking, Dave, and sadly there's no knowledge graph because Wikipedia wouldn't let us in. Oh. Um, too commercial or something. But, oh. and so, so I, I, that always draws the question, where does Google draw its information for knowledge graph from? Well, you know, primarily from sources like, uh, you know, trusted sources that are out there, uh, Wikipedia, um, major newspapers, etc. Right. If you can get a knowledge graph result for one of your clients, like, you know, somebody, you got a client who has uh, some international prominence, um, a publisher or uh, 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 a public figure. This is wonderful because now now you have hands on editing, uh, you know, editing abilities. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, one more opportunity to control the message. Obviously, you need to, you know, you can't use it as a total sales pitch. Like I, I have a hunch that is what they're looking for, um, and how quickly you know you you already know people are abusing this. Right, like <laughs> that's already happening right now as we're talking. Our li- like there are listeners in the audience who may not have known until we started talking who are going over and abusing it right now. Hello, folks. Um, you know, you know, Google's going to be ready for this, and and will be you know ready to make those adjustments to the algorithm. But they are going to need to make it algorithmically. So it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And like all things, um, you know, well, doing what they don't necessarily want will probably work for a little bit, but it, it'll evaporate pretty quick. 
You know, there was an article. I wish I, you know, we don't have this in our queue, and we didn't talk about it. But an article that was published by Raven Tools uh, two days ago mm-hmm. about you know just published misconceptions in the SEO world. And for some reason, that you know, when people you know, remember remember jumping on uh, authorship in Google Plus and how important that was, and then suddenly it wasn't. Yep. And uh, you know, I, I can think of a half dozen other things that people just jumped on, and tens of thousands, maybe millions of marketing dollars were spent on stuff that is more fatty than real. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if, uh, like you said, an abusive knowledge graph, like give give some people an inch and they take a cool thing away. Um, uh, again, I'm wondering if a whole bunch of money is going to get spent on going down the drain on something that isn't actually going to be supported in the long run. I, I think you're probably right. Like in, at the end of the day, it, one of the things that will be interesting to see, and, and maybe this is what they're trying to do, much like I think they were trying to do with authorship is, okay, when we open this up, what is it that people do? Right? I maybe have some manual editors out there looking at people like Barry going, okay, when it's legitimate, what changes do they make? Okay, now we're, we're you know, let's shut down this part where they get to choose, but hey, this is a way for us to build into our automation. Um, you know, a, a more human edited functionality, right? Like what do people do? Much like they have their reviewer guidelines, right? Like they actually send people through to rate like grade sites, but then they build it into an algorithm. And that may be what they're doing here is just seeing what do real humans edit about themselves? Let's look for the legitimate ones. Let's look for the violations. Let's build those into an algorithm. Go. Interesting. <laughs> you know, no matter what gets done, you're always teaching Google. That's, that's yeah. the bottom line, right? That, that is the bottom line. Now, one of the things that will be interesting to teach Google and Google teach us um, also came out is the driverless <laughs> car, oh, yeah, the actual driverless component of it. So the AI behind uh, the car has been legally deemed the driver, which, I mean, I, I have to think that's fair. You haven't given me a steering wheel. So, yes. You cannot count me as a driver <laughs> in a legal responsibility. I, I don't have a steering wheel. I understand uh, that most driverless cars had to have a steering wheel just in case. Uh, the ones interesting. They are, I know all their test ones do. One of the ones from the article I was just reading doesn't. Um, okay. And now their thing is, is basically to eliminate any chance that you're going to be an idiot. But, I mean, you know, we'll see. I have a hunch going live. <laughs> it's have to, too. I think a lot of the resistance is I don't want to give up that control. Now, might you temporarily and learn to, you know, give me a steering wheel, but, hey, you know what? I want to text, right? Like, click. Okay, I've started texting. Well, I didn't die. Right? And sort of condition people into accepting this um, as, a, as a, a better form of transportation, right? Like, I like driving. And you know what? I actually like driving. <laughs> I actually well, like it. You know, I you know, actually. Miss- I'm on the I'm on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. I dislike driving. I gave up driving years ago. Um, right. Have a go on for hours about how great I think not driving is, and I'm terrified of large moving objects that want to kill me. Right. Would um, you like the worst case Toronto, scenario? Large moving objects kill a lot of people. Would, um, would Jimmy? Would you like the worst case scenario of what could possibly happen if you did get one of these uh, driverless cars? Well, the legal implications are, are incredible. Like, who is responsible for the decisions of car makes? Well, I mean, I can just, put, I can just kind of give you an example here. Hey. Car rolling downhill. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That is actually, you know, but I think something like that is less likely with self-driving cars. I think they can, you know, regulate their speed and... Um, 
uh, efficiency of all of their systems way better than humans can. But again, if uh, two cars meet up in the same space for whatever reason, who's responsible? Google, the algorithm, the driver, the person who might have had some form of corrective action they could take. Who knows? Dave, you mentioned something uh, off air about you know Google having more money than uh, any anyone's lawyers could possibly have. Yep. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that they're going to like, they're viewing this as a victory. I get why, because nobody's going to step into a driverless vehicle and let the vehicle take control if you're still legally responsible for it. Like, no. Um, but at the same time, now Google's going, hey, you know, we won this. Great. Okay. I guess that's kind of a victory for them. But at the end of the day, where does that culpability lie now then? If the AI that they've built is the driver of my vehicle and that driver due to its own error, like let's assume that some glitch happens and it hits, I don't know, a kid who's crossing the street, right? Protectors don't go off or something like that. Who's culpable for that one? Well, I know Google has more money than most insurance companies I know about and you know they're going after it and there is a level of culpability that needs to be there if there was an error. I get that sometimes accidents are going to happen, you know, no errors, right? I mean, heck, there's been baseball games. No error games where you still lose. <laughs> like, it well, happens. You know, perhaps, 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 I'm, um, perhaps Eric can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I figure by the time driverless cars are on the road, Google will, actually, will have developed algorithms to you know, like simulate lawyers and stuff. <laughs> so no matter what happens, the consumer's covered. Google's got them covered. They, they, they'll have representation. <laughs> it's true. I am imagining a world as well. Um, you know, okay, even if they don't have their lawyers and they're just showing me who the lawyers are. Well, we, we know this guy was in an accident with one of our vehicles. Let's, you know, which lawyers are we going to recommend for him now since he's suing us? <laughs> well, I'm just, well, we're just joking, like sort of. Um, I think it illustrates uh, uh, a growing threat of, uh, you know, technology monopolies. When you control the means of information and you also are, you know, controlling like means of transportation or, you know, the logistics in, uh, in society, mm-hmm. there's a conflict for the people. It, uh, you know, it, 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 it's coming. It's going to be a conversation we have to have, uh, you know, philosophically and legally moving into a future where AI is playing a greater and greater and greater part of our lives. Indeed. Um, Indeed. And I think we're going to have part of that conversation with Eric Enga um, coming up after the break, which will be coming up in a few moments. And we've got a couple of things that we got we got to get to. Um, this one's actually, this one is, is it, Google has this tradition of hating Flash. <laughs> remember, uh, remember years ago when uh, Google just couldn't read through images um, in, in, uh, in, 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 in expressed in Flash? Yep. They couldn't get text out of it because that text was actually a bunch of images strung together. Yep. Well, we would, you know, we would write about it and we'd tell tell people uh, from an SEO's point of view, Flash is garbage, and they're all the Flash designers would get so mad at us. Well, for a totally different reason, Google is going to be discontinuing its support of Flash in advertising across the DoubleClick network uh, starting January 2nd. 2017, um, Flash is insanely vulnerable. So Google just wants nothing to do with it. HTML5 is there. That's pretty heavy, eh? Yeah, that is. I mean, it is like a final nail in the coffin for Flash. 
Yeah, and it was meant to die. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, there was there was a bunch of great things about Flash at the time. Like, I got it. People misused it and started building websites in it. Yeah, they looked great, but how many times can we say, don't build your site in Flash if you won't care about search? Right? Like, And there are certain people who don't. Like, if you were, whatever, Disney, do you really care about search? Probably not. <laughs> like, you probably don't, or at least certain certain of your websites. You're not, you know, travel, yeah. Disney, you know, gaming part for kids? No, not so much. Um, so there was a great use of Flash that you could do in there, but everything you could do with Flash, you can now do with other technologies. Um, and much and more secure it. technologies like HTML5. Yeah. Well, um, indeed, indeed. One of, one of the problems with designing a website in Flash was this, like, inconvenient user experience problem of serving up malicious content from some hacker um, <laughs> halfway around the world. No, yeah. that's bad UX there, folks. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not going to work. Well, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see it finally die. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's been dying for a long time now. I mean, I'm sure you remember how many times could we, you know, hear from Adobe, we're working with Google, or hear from Google, we're working <laughs> with Adobe to get this crawlable. Well, well. It, you know, <laughs> it'll never be reliable. It never would have been. Evolution happens, technologies rise, technologies fall, companies rise and companies die. And we've been talking about a company that's been that's like been on death watch like ever. Mm-hmm. And now its organs are shutting down. Yahoo. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um This is a this is a taps for anybody who was using the build your own search service. That Yahoo uh, offered through uh, through its uh, advanced programming interfaces, APIs, and developer tools, and a number of people were using uh, 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 the, the 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 build your own search tool API. And as of March thirty first, twenty sixteen, they're going to stop working. <laughs> um, they've if 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 you if you're a developer and you were using Yahoo's search capabilities to um, as your enterprise or uh, as a search engine on your site or whatever or to build your own search technology. They've got it. Go to boss.yahoo.com. They have a fix up there. But um, again, they're going to be closing the, the division down eventually. So, Yeah. So there we are. I mean, who's surprised, right? Like, of course, they're shutting that stuff down. I right? like... Yeah, I, I consider this. I, I'm viewing kind of like, and maybe it's because of the location. Like, if if you're suffering from you know cold and and, and exposure and things like that, the first thing your body does is sacrifices things like fingers. <laughs> like the first thing it does is it sacrifices what it doesn't need as a, a core, um, you know, bit of your body to survive. So, and I, I think that's you know that's what we are going to see. I do think we're actually. It's. I don't think the example I'm using is that far away from what you know we're yeah, thinking. Yeah, right it, now. it feels like pieces of yeah, yeah, pieces of Yahoo are shutting down, and it's uh, <laughs> part of uh, well, it's part of what people have been saying was going to happen. It's unfortunate. Okay, we got time for one more story before we got to go to break. Um, lots of people use Opera. Uh, lots of developers use Opera. Mm-hmm. It too is uh, going to be changing. I don't know if it's going to be shutting down, but uh, today, according to Slashdot, uh, 
Opera, which is based in Norway, confirmed that it's received an acquisition offer from uh, a Chinese consumer tech company, Kulun Tech, and uh, Kaihu 360. For $1.2 billion, their mm-hmm. uh, board is going to recommend that the shareholders accept the offer. It represents 53% premium on uh, what the company is valued at right now. Mm-hmm. Government's got to approve of it. But again, if you're using Opera for, develop- for development reasons, something you should stay on top of, it's about to change. Which is good. <laughs> I think in a case like this, you know, we've actually, you know, it's not, not horrible. Um, it's not like, say, Yahoo. <laughs> no, no, Opera didn't have the same impact as Yahoo, although it was, it was a great browser. And it was, you know, one of those ones that we would test in um, when, when, like, developing new websites. Right. So, um, the Norwegians, they, they had fast search and transfer, too. They developed these, like, incredible search, or in this case, browser technologies that, you know, are insanely useful and open source and all this. And then, you know, economics and then just the market, they get bought. I don't, you know, this is kind of reminding me, and we're going back a few years, so I might be aging myself here, but I'm going to age you at the same time. It kind of reminds me of what Ask was. Right? Like, where it was a leader, always. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you would see these features, and they would launch it, and then... You know, a year later, you would see them start to show up over at Google or Bing or, well, it wasn't Bing at the time on MSN or something like that. Um, you know, and then, you know, the, the great innovation got stolen by other people who had more money and more market share. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the, way. the jungle. That's the jungle. Okay. We actually, we, we, we got to take a break. Um, Eric Eng is coming up to talk about, well, an evolution in the jungle itself, the uh, the introduction of AI into um, into the search ecosystem, into the greater marketing ecosystem. But before we get there, we got to take a break here on Webcology. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Ways Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. It's the second of February, twenty sixteen. Back after these messages. about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I signed us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. 
Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Is buying something that is made in the USA important to you? How do you know that it really is made in the USA? Certified Inc. is the only supply chain audit company on the planet which qualifies country of origin labeling. If it's important to you as a consumer to know where the products you buy and use in your own home come from, then it's also important for your customers. Visit us at madeinusa.net and find out more. Go to madeinusa.net because it's that important. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by Eric Enga from Stone Temple, from Stone Temple Consulting. Um, last week, just before airtime, Eric published, uh, well, what I I don't think I'm using the word lightly, a revolutionary article at uh, the Moz blog, The Machine Learning Revolution, How It Works, and Its Impact on SEO. Now, we've been talking about um, machine learning on this show, uh, robots, uh, the advance of AI in our sector for months now. But, Eric, your article last week is challenging, um, uh, uh, thought-provoking, and thought-changing. And, uh, um, again, I don't even have the revolutionary. What got you started on the idea of AI? Uh, well, it's a... Uh, uh that's a complicated question, Jim, uh, but uh, uh, and so glad to be able to talk to you again. I always enjoy the chances when we get to get to chat. But, uh, I, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence are concepts that have been around for an awful long time. And, uh, and for the most part, in, uh, uh, I've sort of been aware of it, not paid too much attention. And 
and you know I kind of knew it was important. And finally, uh, um, towards the end of last year, I decided that I needed to dive in and understand it better. Uh, and it was uh, it, it was a cool experience because it gave me a much clearer understanding of what machine learning is and isn't. And now, let me be fair about this. I haven't become some global expert on machine learning. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I know more than I did before, and I know enough to be a little bit dangerous. Uh, there are people who are pushing and advancing the science of machine learning. Uh, but I've learned a little bit about it. I have a, you know, a bit better appreciation now of, uh, um, you know, what it's about and how it works. Well, I don't even know where I want to begin. So why don't we start with how it works? What is machine learning? So, uh, well, I think that is a, a great place to start, actually. And so um, conceptually, think of it this way. Imagine, and I'll use an example. Uh, uh, imagine you have a set of uh, data on housing prices. So, you, you know, let's say you live in... Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Burlington, Vermont, and you have data on the last uh, 500 houses that sold there. And not only do you know what they sold for, but you know things like the square footage of the house and uh, the lot size, and how many bathrooms, how many bedrooms, how old it is. Uh, and you have all these data points. Um, and as a human being, right, you could sit there and look at all this data and Somebody comes in with a new house and you want to figure out how much that costs, you can get close to an intuitive sense as to what that might look like uh, price-wise, what that house might sell for. Mm -hmm. But with machine learning, you can take all the data you have on recent sales, the 500 houses I talked about, and you can plug it into a, a program which will derive a mathematical equation. It will automatically derive the mathematical equation that fits the historical data points in the best way possible so that when you have a new house, you can take those inputs, again, the size of the house, the lot size, how old, bathrooms, bedrooms, etc., cetera, um, and you plug it into the equation and out pops the number. Um, and it takes something that... He, would be a labor, a significant amount of labor for a human to do. Uh, and then, in, after all that, the human would only do it with, you know, uh, kind of a very crude degree of accuracy. And you get to pump it into, pump the data into a mathematical equation, you get the answer. Now, mind in you... In milliseconds. Right. And, and that answer is just a guess, but it's a more educated guess, but it's... Uh, it's still not necessarily exactly where it will come out, but it's probably really, really close. So to, to go with that analogy, in the uh, time it would take the human to, you know, do that intuitive, uh, intuitive uh, calculation based based on the data in front of them, the machine could uh, plan out the entire subdivision and be well on to solving climate change. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, that, in that short period of time. I'm just thinking of the scale that we could be talking about. Well, yeah. Uh, and it's really a good way to think about it because one of the things that's true is that uh, machine learning isn't actually 
a, a magic or silver bullet for every problem. It, it, it fits to certain specific kinds of problems. So, uh, for example, with climate change, um, that's not necessarily a problem it's well suited to solving because uh, it may not have the right kind of inputs to, to solve that problem. Whereas my housing problem is, that, that I outline is one where you, you have a, a lot of good data and it's, it's fairly easy to uh, conceptually uh, bake out uh, or work out. And, you know, to give you an idea, um, I, I actually built a machine learning uh, um, uh, tool myself where um, I took data that we uh, have here at Stone Temple on 1.9 million tweets and things like, you know, what's the social authority of the people who did the tweet and whether they included images or linked to something or at mentioned somebody or how many characters it was and data like that. And I used that to train a neural network, which is a type of machine learning, uh, so I can for future tweets, plug that kind of data in and make a prediction of the chances of getting a retweet. Now, mind you, this was just an exercise in learning for me because, you know, there, there's an enormous amount of commercial application for calculating your chances of getting a retweet. Um, uh, <laughs> but but the, the thing is, I just wanted to learn how to do it. Um, and comparatively, a pretty simple thing compared to some of the things that people are doing machine learning, but um, it really changed my perspective to go through the process of doing one. And at the end of it, you realize that there are some constraints to the kinds of things that machine learning can do well, uh, but even those are extremely powerful. Now, we're, we're talking about a, a couple times here, and, and a really, really valid point, that there are specific types of information um, the machines are great with. There's specific types of information they're not, i.e. scenarios where they may not be able to collect uh, all the data, scenarios where they, you know, looking at housing, for example, you know, yes, you can, you can sort of put a price on it, but as we know, one person will pay a different thing than another based on aesthetic, like things that aren't a concrete thing. I may get a value out of something that somebody else wouldn't um, outside the, the direct math. What do you think, how long... And obviously, you're very knowledgeable in this area. How long do you think before we have the machine learning to the level where it can sort of build on its own factors, understand things a little bit? Like we've already got in Pinterest where you can, you know, sort of whatever, do a, a search around a specific element in a picture and it'll pull up other items like it, right? Like you can go, I like this chandelier and sort of search around it and, and it'll find other chandeliers like it, even if it's part of a larger image. How long until do you, do you see AI progressing to be able to, just sort of take that kind of data and go, you know what, we keep seeing on your you know, Pinterest page that you like stuff like this. Okay, let's actually bring that aesthetic. Let's actually start pulling human world um, information in and starting to build its own factors rather than relying on humans to build those factors in for it. Well, and there, there are already some examples of that out there. What, you, what you're referring to now, Dave, is a concept called unsupervised machine learning. Um, so let me just clarify what I mean by that. The, uh, the first example, my housing example, we call supervised machine learning because I gave uh, what we'll call training examples to the algorithm, and the algorithm trained around those examples. Um, the Pinterest one that 
you mentioned could well be an example of unsupervised machine learning, by which I mean um, uh, you know, someone appears uh, uh, to like pictures of chandeliers and um, the algorithm um, you know, isn't like looking at text strings for the word chandeliers, but actually figures out what those kinds of objects look like and starts finding other examples. Uh, now, I don't know for sure if the Pinterest thing is, is a, uh, that, um, how they designed that, but I'll give you a specific example where I do know more. In Google News, um, when you find a news story, um, you'll notice that uh, included in a, a series of links, um, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be in Google News, you search on something, you'll see the top news story, and it'll be, you'll pick some journal, but you'll see links to maybe three other sites covering the same story. So Google News actually uses machine learning to determine the relationship between those stories uh, and understand that they're on the same topic. So that is a case of unsupervised machine learning. So we already see some examples of that out there where the algorithm is able to group things like that and recognize them as have, having similarity. Um, and and that that's an unsupervised algorithm. There's no human, you know, we have no idea what the stories are going to be tomorrow. We can't give training examples for, for how to group those things together. The algorithm has to do it dynamically and figure it out in real time. Say, oh, these things are related. They should be grouped together. Now, you had mentioned, I believe it was in the article, or maybe it was uh, you know, on Facebook or something that I saw this last week. Um, you had taken a course, uh, Coursera.org, from, from Stanford. It, I mean, for, for all of our listeners, um, head over to the Moz blog, read uh, read Eric's post on it, and I, I believe, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, the link was in there, correct, to the course? It's like a 10-week um, sort of machine learning course um, that's available? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, and by the way, when, when you say 10 weeks, just be prepared. This is heavy-duty calculus. Uh, you'll be dealing with partial derivatives. Uh, if you don't know what those are, then um, just, just be aware that, uh, um, you know, can't be afraid of a certain amount of math. Um, now, to be fair, we're not talking rocket science level of math, but it's real math. Uh, and um, so, uh, yeah, uh, 10 weeks if you're not working a full-time job, right? <laughs> uh, you know what, valid point. I was looking through and going, right, it's broken down into 10 weeks. That's obviously a, this is for students. They should be able to power through this in 10 weeks because that's what they're doing for a living. Um, you know, they're not working 60 hour days. I'm going to be breaking it down. And it's funny. I, I'd seen it. I bookmarked it. Um, I'm on vacation, so I didn't start this week, but I'm starting it next week. And I'll be breaking it down into maybe 20 or 30. And I'm lucky. I've got a kid in university who happens to also be very good at math and has just finished calculus. So I'm going to be tapping him on the shoulder. I know often going, what's this again? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Jim, I think you, you bet you, I think you have a question and I keep hogging up cause I got so many questions. Well, indeed. Again, when you, when you think about uh, AI and its implications, you just don't know where to start. Um, we're really quickly getting towards the break and getting towards the end of the show, so we've got to get, bring this into SEO. Uh, Eric, how is this going to – is this already – is uh, unsupervised machine learning already affecting Google algorithms? So, uh, yeah, um, uh, chances are quite good that they are uh, – 
Uh, so RankBrain is an algorithm that Google uh, announced, I think it was in October or sometime uh, late last year. Um, and this is an algorithm that uh, um, recognizes language relationships uh, and is better able to understand various aspects of how language is used. Um, and it is definitely machine learning based. Uh, Google has already clarified that that's the case. Uh, and um, uh, so that's, that's uh, uh, something that they've used to, um, you know, uh, well, really be better able to understand a user's query and how it matches up with certain web pages. So let me give you an example. There's a very famous example that was in the Bloomberg article about it. Uh, something along the lines is, what is uh, the name of a consumer at the top level of a food chain? Okay, and uh, if you're listening and you immediately said, oh, that's a predator, then you're ahead of most people and you're certainly ahead of where Google was before um, uh, RankBrain came out. But there's some things in that query that I stated that are a little awkward, if you will. Uh, so the word consumer, well, they're really referring to an animal, is what they mean to say, you know, what most people would have said there. So that's a little odd use. And, and, and you know, the, the name, uh, actually, I think it was once the label of a consumer. That, that part of the question was a little crude as well. And okay. so... The, the language was really quite hard to, to understand. Um, and uh, uh, so you know, that's out there. That's, that's deployed. And Google at one point referred to that as their third most important ranking factor, which uh, personally I think was a bit um, awkward. Of a, <laughs> uh, because I, I don't think it's a ranking factor so much as a better understanding language factor. It's funny how, you know, in so many ways, the imperfectional language trips us up over and over again. <laughs> that I have three amazing questions I have to ask, but I, we need to take a break. Um, Eric, if you could stick around for a few minutes. Uh, we have to take a break here on Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It's the 11th of February, 2016. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Waste Media. Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. We're going to be back on Webcology after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Reinventing keyword research. Simplifying campaign optimization. Redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com. That's S-P-Y-F-U.com. And start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? 
I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to WebCology on WebmasterRadio.fm. It's the 11th of February, 2016, and Dave and I are joined by Eric Enga from Stone Temple Consulting. We're talking about Eric's article last week, published just before we went on air. I always do that, <laughs> just before we go on air. Something amazing <laughs> happens. Check out uh, Eric's article over at the Moz blog, The uh, Machine Learning Revolution, How It Works and How It Impacts SEO. And uh, Eric, last week there was a change in uh, at Google Web Search. The uh, former head of Google Web Search, um, Amit Singhal, uh, retired, and he was replaced by John Giandrea, the uh, guy who was in charge of AI at, at Google. Do you think that's is, – is there a significance there? Yeah, uh, great question. And um, uh, for your listeners who may not know, I literally uh, finished 20 minutes before hopping on the show here, uh, a uh, live uh, broadcast with Google's Gary Eish. And um, the uh, we asked him about uh, uh, the new head of uh, um, Google Search, and he said that... Uh, well, he couldn't comment on that, but he did confirm that, you know, machine learning is something that um, is kind of a big deal uh, there. Um, and, you know, it is something that they try to use as a tool. Much like I said a little earlier in our broadcast here, um, he, uh, he said, you know, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't solve everything, but there's certain problems that it's really, really good at. And so just to add my own speculation all that, having someone, uh, they call him G, uh, JG for short because uh, that last name of Andrea or however it's pronounced, a little complicated. But um, uh, you know, to me, it, it does suggest that they're anticipating doing uh, uh, a lot more. But I think here's what you can expect. It's going to happen in point situations and targeted situations like a, uh, uh, a rank brain where um, they can find really good applications for it. So I, I don't think they're going to like, you know, scrap the whole algorithm and start over 
And one of the things that Gary intimated in our conversation, which was really quite uh, interesting, is that, um, you know, regardless of whether it's a human-generated algorithm or a machine-generated algorithm, they have an enormous amount of testing to do before they can be comfortable with it. And with machine-generated algorithms, you have less intuition about what to expect. So, there, you know, while he didn't put it this way, there might be a higher standard that the algorithm has to go through before they're comfortable releasing it. Well, indeed, or before they're comfortable releasing information about it. Uh, we remember, uh, was it two years ago, Google did the... Um I'm sorry, it was, it, was, it was only about a year ago where Google was releasing images of how its positronic brain, its AI, uh, perceived other images or groups of images. And sometimes they were uh, kind of spooky and sometimes they were very accurate. What is it that um, – well, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to ask about the level of precision necessary for a um, – machine-generated algorithm to be um, accurate? Yeah, you know, it depends on the application, right? So uh, just for uh, sake of argument, let's say you came up with a great new uh, uh, ranking algorithm and it made, um, you know, the search results uh, on an aggregate basis, the search quality improved 20%. It'd be a phenomenal change, right? And, uh, but then you realize that um, uh, while the overall search quality went up 20%, that Walmart, Apple, MIT, the U.S. government uh, websites had all disappeared from search. Would that, <laughs> would that be an acceptable side effect to get a net improvement of 20% for search overall? And the answer is probably not even though 20% sounds phenomenal, right? It would be phenomenal. It's earth-shaking uh, uh, to imagine an algorithm that improved overall quality that much. Um, but, um, and, that, and that's the hard part, right? Uh, is how, how do you define success is one really big question. So um, conceptually, and this is my way of thinking about it. I'm not saying this is a Google point of view, but as I think about it, it's like, Okay, you want to see that you get a measurable increase in overall quality uh, and uh, two other things. Uh, one, that you don't have evidence of unacceptable types of fallout, like the example I just gave you with those sites dropping on a search. And then the third thing, and this is usually something that people don't believe is an issue at Google, but it actually is, that it hasn't used an unacceptably large amount of computing power um, uh, you know, or won't use an unacceptably large amount of computing power to maintain, because even those resources are finite mm. in Google. Right. So, you know, was the amount of so many blatant dams around? Yes. <laughs> well, right. might we find our, ourselves in a spot? And and, and you bring up it's funny because I was going to go with the question, and then you gave me the example. So, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> might we hit a spot then um, where we end up battling ourselves over our own bias. Um, like you listed the example of what if Walmart just disappears? And I, I thought of, hey, actually one of the perks to AI, and you listed a great example of where it may hurt us, one of the perks to it is 
no matter what engineer you are, no matter what, we all, we're human. We all have a bias. We have a, we will look at a result and go, this is good or bad based on our understanding of what good and bad is um, in, in a result set, what kind of information we're looking for and, and things like that. You listed an example there where the overall quality metrics had improved, but as a human, we're going, Walmart's gone away or the government website's gone away. So as a human, I'm deciding that that's not good. But every metric on success is showing yes. Are we going to end up battling our own AI for ourselves and putting our own biases in where basically almost going against what the metrics of success would be or even some might argue should be by putting by reinjecting our bias into an unbiased system that's just looking for successful metrics on search quality? It's certainly possible. Of course, you can try to design algorithms that uh, uh, to some degree get around that. So this is, uh, you want complicated, this is where it gets complicated. Yeah. So let's say we design an algorithm and say, well, okay, I, I, I'm not going to have this bias because I know, I as human know that it's Walmart. I'm going to have this bias because I can see that the, uh, um, the, the demand for the Walmart site is very high. And therefore, even though I made a bunch of changes, uh, improved quality up by 20%, uh, I'm, I'm now disappointing all of that demand to this obviously very important site. So I'm not, I'm not getting that from my bias. I'm getting that from the data, right? right. Um, so there are ways that you can try to anticipate that. There's, there's a related issue, which is, how do you deal with the human need for serendipity? <laughs> uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm searching for something, and I, you know, I, I kind of know I have in my mind what I, I but, uh, but uh, what I'm looking for. But people do like to discover new things. So however you do this, in the end, for overall satisfaction, you've got to, you've got to support the situation where someone starts. You know, you know, investigating something, and an hour and a half later, they've actually gone through five or six different things that you know, far beyond the scope of what they originally were planned on doing, just because they get interested in stuff and wander. <laughs> well, uh, isn't that the way the web worked? <laughs> Everything old is new again. <laughs> yes. Um, so, Eric, we have to. We're going to have to go in a couple of seconds here. I think we have time for, for one last quick question. Um, is AI, how, how dramatically and how quickly do you think the introduction of AI is going to change our industry? Um, well, I think it's already changed it. Uh, we just don't recognize it. I know we're short on time, but I'm going to give you another example just real quick. When you're on a site that, uh, um, you know, makes suggestions to you, like you're on Netflix, Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you get movies suggested to you that you might like. That is machine learning that does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, if you have an insurance company and you figure out what rate that you, you know, want to uh, charge for insurance, life insurance to someone who's 65 years old with certain medical history, it's machine learning that does that. Um, uh, there's tons of places that it's already here, and it's going to grow rapidly. And uh, I'll give you one really short note to underscore it, and that is, look, I decided I wanted to learn machine learning. I went and found a course online. I was able to do it 
you know, over a period of a few months. Uh, it cost me nothing to do. It was re readily available. The information is out there. People are investigating it. They're learning how to use it. It's already here. It's just going to keep growing. And so the smart will invest the time and learn and learn what they can themselves. Is right. that what you're implying? Well, I mean, it's it's available, and I think uh, uh, if you are in the kind of business that could benefit from these kinds of algorithms, it's out there for you to do it. There you go. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time with us on Webcology, and thank you for uh, what's what's going to become a seminal article in the, in the history of, uh, of the industry. Folks, you've been listening to uh, Eric Ng from Stone Temple Consulting. Go to the Moz blog. Check it out. It was published last week, February 4th. Uh, the machine learning revolution, how it uh, how it works and impacts SEO. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. You've been listening to Webcology on the second of on the eleventh of February, twenty sixteen. We'll probably be back next week. All right, thank you guys. Thank you. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business -business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.